Chrisman here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today on the podcast, we're kicking it off, talking about the focus of church for this coming year. This is called a community of hope and healing. We're looking at our call to be a group of people that connects with the surrounding culture in meaningful ways through hospitality, compassion creativity. So without further ado, let's go ahead and head to the talk. North Shore Vineyard Church, downtown Covington. Thanks for listening. So I want to start off today um, with this in mind by looking at Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. It's on the front of your outline. How about you stand up and let's read this together. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. All right, you can be seated. These are some of my favorite words of Jesus, and they really get at the central kind of uh, purpose of the church that the church is called to be uh, the light to the world, the city on a hill. The other phrase that Jesus uses in the same passage is the salt of the earth. I love the way Eugene Peterson puts it in the, in the message translation of the Bible. He says, you are the, the salt of the earth here to bring out the God flavors in the world. You are light to bring out the God colors in this world. And in a real sense, I believe that's what we're called to do as a church. We are called to reveal God. God is already all around us, right? He's everywhere. But, but most people are totally blind to what God is doing, right? It's kind of like radio waves. You know, WWOZ, my favorite station, is playing right now, but I don't hear it because I'm not tuned into that frequency, our, our calling as a church is to reveal God. Now, I can look over my years of being a Christian. I can look at recent history in the church. I can look back over 2,000 years of the church, and there's plenty of examples of when the church has gotten it wrong concerning its calling. The first happens when the church sees itself in an adversarial relationship with society. I know when I first became a Christian, um, I remember being a part of churches where people would boycott this group over here or they'd protest here or they'd be fighting for their rights over here. And, you know, you may have been a part of these things before. I have, too, and I'm not, I'm, you know, where 
you're so concerned about having prayer in school that, by golly, I'm going to get up there and pray a prayer. I'm going to show them what it's like. You know, thank you, God, for your love and your grace. And <laughs> take me to jail. I dare you. You know, uh, but it, it, sometimes we have such an adversarial relationship that between the church and the state, the church and the city, that I don't think it reveals Jesus. It reveals a bunch of people who are doing the same things that people in the world do. When I talk to millennials, the, the, the young folks coming up, um, one of the things that I find that, that that group of people is leaving church quicker than any other group of people in the history of America. And one of the reasons that, that most of them give is because they're tired of that. They're tired of seeing a group of people who make moral crusades, who are all grabbing for power, who are trying to rule the world, who, frankly, don't look a whole lot like Jesus. It's an adversarial relationship. It's funny, when, when I was going to the, to the vineyard on the South Shore, we were getting ready to move into this new building right before Katrina, and Katrina whacked the building about a few days before we were supposed to have our first service. But we were in a bit of an adversarial relationship with the city over landscaping. It's kind of funny the things that you fight with the city about, but we were going back and forth. And, and, and I had found... We'd also, at earlier points in the church, that we'd had issues with another landlord who was trying to, to shut us down and, and different people who... And I remember the kinds of prayers that I used to pray. You know, I'd pull something out of Psalms. Lord, smite them, you know. Uh, it, <laughs> but it's funny, after Katrina happened, like, I think God shook us up and we realized, like, you know, we're here to serve the city. <laughs> and so we did. We started serving the city. We started, you know, cooking meals at the, at the city hall, you know. We started adopting neighborhoods and feeding people. We started ripping out sheetrock and, 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 and carpet. We held job fairs in the facilities. Eventually, the city came to see that... that our church was there to serve them, and they said, hey, if another one of these things happens, we want you guys to be the first people that come into the city. The church gets it wrong when it becomes an adversary of the society, and I don't care how much the society is anti-Christian, okay? I mean, I think sometimes we, we think, well, well, if, if the church is trying to take away our, I mean, if the state's trying to take away our rights to pray or our rights to whatever, that we need to, to, to fight them on everything. But, but understand, Paul, living in the Roman Empire, in a prison, he never became an adversary of Rome. In fact, Paul said, we don't wrestle against people. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're wrestling against principalities and powers. Like our war isn't with people. God has not called us to fight people. You with me? People are not the enemy here. There's an enemy behind people many times. But guess what? You don't fight that enemy by picking up the weapons of this world. The church gets it wrong when we become an adversary of the city, of the state. That's not our battle. Paul Never fought the battle against Rome, even though he had plenty of things that he could have pointed out with Rome that were wrong. Jesus never picked a fight with Rome either, even though there's good evidence in the book of Revelations that Rome was the, you know, Roman Empire was the, the Antichrist. 
Second way that the church gets it wrong is when the church becomes a subculture. Um, I've been a part of these kinds of churches before, too. Oftentimes, I think, you know, we're living in a world that's crazy and scary. And sometimes the church, we look out at the world and we're like, man, it's scary. It's crazy. Let's just circle the wagons and protect ourselves. And so the church becomes such tight community that nobody else can get in. And many times it's a community that's based in fear. It's a, it's a, a fear of, of outsiders, a fear of, of anyone, so it just pulls away. And if you've ever been to a church like that before, I remember there's actually, actually a church over uh, when I was living in Hammond. There was actually a church that passed a rule that they, didn't wanna, they, they were not going to accept any more new members. It's like, really? Like, you're going to get to the point, like, we're done, we're good, no more new members. Uh, it's possible to, to create like a subculture out of fear. But here's the real danger for, I think, North Shore Vineyard. I don't see a lot of people here that are just, you know, circling the wagons in fear. You know, we can point our fingers at those kind of people, right? Um, I think our danger is that we can find ourselves getting that need for community met Many of us come in here, we didn't have friends on the outside, we didn't have purpose, we didn't have meaning in our life, and now, you know, we, we've become a part of a community, and now that itch for community scratch, now we got friends, and I don't need to look anywhere else anymore. I don't need to think about other people, you know? I, I got that need met. It's a, I've used this analogy before, I, I, I didn't make it up, but Rich Nathan, a, a vineyard pastor up in... Uh, Columbus, Ohio, says that, you know, the danger of that type of subculture is you become a box of puppies licking each other. (laughs) You know, you're cute, but you are not a threat to the world around you. And I would say whether your, your subculture is built out of fear or even built out of love, if you keep outsiders out because, I mean, sometimes, frankly, things are going so good, we don't want anybody to mess it up, you know? If we keep... If we keep people out for either reason, we're in danger of shutting down the purposes of God. And I think the church gets it wrong when we do that. We've not been called to be in an adversarial relationship with the world. We've not been called to be a subculture that, that just retreats from the world. But we've been called to be right up in the middle of everything. You know, when we planted this church several years ago... Um, we were looking for different places to plant. We were looking at maybe going down further into New Orleans or going to East Baton Rouge. And we finally just felt Lord drawing us to Covington. But after driving around the little strip malls and the outskirts and stuff, we just kind of felt drawn more to downtown Covington. I was like, I just feel like we're supposed to be right up in the middle of everything. You know, like in a place where people actually go. There's not, when I lived in, in, in Kenner, you know, people didn't go to Kenner. I mean, you... It's, it wasn't like a destination. <laughs> Let's go to Kenner. Um, I wanted to be somewhere where, you know, people actually would, would, would go <laughs> on purpose. Um, so we could be salt and light. I put this on your outline. The church functions as an outpost of the kingdom, an alternative community that is built around Jesus and his teachings, that is participating with culture, from a whole different set of values. 
See, this is the testimony of the New Testament. God's not called us to retreat from the world. He's called us to be right up in the middle of the world, but we're operating in the world from a whole different set of values. So we may work at the same places as other people who don't follow Christ. We may have neighbors who don't follow Christ. Uh, We may be creating art in a community where most of the artists aren't Christians, but we do it from a different set of values. That's salt and light. I think a good way we can understand this is Jeremiah 29, um, verses 1 through 14. I'm going to read this to you. Now, just set this up. The children of Israel were called by God initially. God sets them apart and says, I want you to be a, a priesthood of believers. I, I want you to be a, 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 a holy nation that will show other nations what I'm like. I've called you to be a special people that will reveal me to the rest of the world. So, so even the call to the Jewish people, when God talks to Abraham, he says, I'm going to bless you so that all the nations of the world will be blessed through you. It was never just about God having a special relationship just with the Jewish people. From the get-go, before there was a Jewish people. But they didn't go along with that. They didn't participate in that. God gave them the Old Testament law, which was a covenant that said, if you follow these rules, the Old Covenant, then you will inherit the land, and the land will prosper. If you don't follow these rules, the land's not going to prosper, and you will ultimately be kicked out of it. So here we are many hundred years later after the giving of the law. The children of Israel had actually gone into idolatry. They decided, we don't want to be the special people of God. We want to be like every other nation. We want to worship their gods. And, And the children of Israel did some horrible things. Child sacrifice, worshiping other gods. I mean, bad stuff. And so God says, okay, you're going to go into captivity. And this passage here that I'm going to read to you today, probably one of the most famous passages that you can find in any Christian bookstore. You might have magnets that say this, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Good stuff, right? Until we look at the context. Because God's saying, before we get to that part, you're going to be in exile for 70 years. But understand, it's kind of like a dad saying to a kid, like, I'm fixing to ground you and take away all your stuff for a little bit. You're going to be tempted to think that I hate you, but I'm doing this because I love you. So that Jeremiah 29.11 thing, keep that in mind. Um, Jeremiah 29.1 says, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests and the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they may too have sons and daughters and increase in number there and do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. 
This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you seek for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. What is God saying here? He's saying, you're going to be grounded for about seven years. Things are going to be bad. In fact, this is probably one of the darkest times in history of the Jewish people recorded in the whole Bible. They go to Babylon, a pagan nation that doesn't worship their God, that worships foreign gods and does all kinds of horrible things. And what does God tell them to do? I want you to go there and resist them every... I want you to sabotage every effort that they have to... No, God says, okay, when you go off to this city, marry, plant crops, eat, give your children in marriage. But I think the most interesting thing he says, seek the blessing of the city. Seek the blessing and the prosperity. Pray for the city. Seek to be a blessing where you end up. Doesn't that seem kind of counterintuitive? These are the very enemies of God's people, and God's saying, be a blessing to them. What? Yeah. Not only that, he says, there's going to be some prophets among you who say otherwise. Don't listen to them. They're lying. They're just telling you what you want to hear. Any old person can prophesy, God, God wants you to hate these people and overthrow them. But God's saying, that's not my heart. You seek the blessing of the place where you call. Probably two of the greatest stories in the Old Testament, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they come from this period. They were the best and the brightest who were under the Babylonian exile who followed what God was saying through the prophet of Jeremiah. And they're the biggest... Sunday school stories that we tell all the time, right? Seek the blessing of the city. I think for us, I mean, obviously this is a different historical context, but I think as the church, we are the people of God who are living out the reality of God's kingdom in the here and now, but we find ourselves right now temporarily in the kingdom of America. Are we here to overthrow America? No. Are we here to, to pledge allegiance to America over the kingdom of God? No. But we are here to be a blessing. We live out God's purposes. We, we become salt and light. I think the early church got this in, in a powerful way. Acts 2, 42 through 47 says, They devoted themselves, this is, this is the early church, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. What did the early church do? They got together every week on Sunday, kind of like we do, because Sunday was representative of the day that the Lord was raised on Easter. So every Sunday reminded them of Easter, and they would get together, and they would fellowship. The apostles would teach them. They'd break bread together. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave 
to give to anyone who had any need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad hearts and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. You know what? The early church, at least recorded in the book of Acts, they never fought with Rome. They never fought with the the Jews who were persecuting them. They just kept on simply hanging out together, breaking bread, taking communion. (laughs) Almost done. Uh, They just continued worshiping together, taking communion, eating meals together, sharing of their possessions together. And there was something of that that overthrew the principalities and powers of their day. How do, how do we defeat evil in this world? Simply by following Jesus in community, one with another. It's funny, when we look at all the writings of the Apostle Paul, Paul never once tells his early churches to go form you know, these, these excluded subcultures outside of town. <laughs> he never once tells them to boycott Rome. He just keeps kind of telling them the same kinds of things that God tells them. Learn to be a blessing. Learn to live in humility. As we do these things, we reveal God. So there's a few little things that I want to close on today. Uh, As a church that seeks to be salt and light, what are a few of the the, the main things that, that we need to keep in mind in all of this? Number one is hospitality. If I could say that there's one value that that is is huge in this church and the way that we practice living out the ways of Jesus, it's hospitality. And and, and what I want to say, if if you're in here today and and you have not plugged in with any ministry and you want to get to know some people, hospitality is probably one of the best places you can plug in. Make coffee every week, pass out bulletins. uh, You get to be here. Before everybody else, you get to see all the magic of how it all gets put together. It's glorious. But here's the deal. Hospitality is much more than coffee. You know what hospitality is? If you're a children's worker, it's showing up 10 or 15 minutes before your shift. Because you want the experience to be good for other people. Oh, shut up now. I'm serious. Hospitality is caring enough about others that you're not thinking about yourself simply on a Sunday morning. I know we are in a culture that tells you you are the center of the universe and everything in your relationship with God is purely an individual matter. It's just me and Jesus. That's not true. (laughs) It's not just you and Jesus. It's not just me and Jesus. I challenge you that in the coming year that you wouldn't think about Sunday morning as just something about your own individual walk with God, but that you would show up, you'd wake up on Sunday morning and think, how can I be a part of blessing others by showing up? I'm not trying to be mean. (laughs) It's just a gift. I'm not trying. It's It's just the way I am. I get up here usually 6.30 or 7. I know this is my job, though. So, But, you know, I could get up here a little bit later, but I know if I get up here later, it's going to be not as good of an experience. <laughs> I know 
If I care about people experiencing, making space for, for God to move in their lives, I, I, I need to not just think about what I want on a Sunday morning. Sometimes I want a little bit more sleep, like today, man. I saw Greg Allman in concert in Baton Rouge last night, and it was good. But I'm dragging butt this morning. I would say hospitality, it goes through everything we do. For musicians, it's hospitality is learning the songs <laughs> before you show up at practice. Oh, now. Oh, now. <laughs> practice is where you learn other people's parts. It's not where you learn your own part. Oh, shut up. Hospitality, it's, it's how we run sound. In PowerPoint, it's making sure that we're working on those skills. It's everything we do in this church. And what is it ultimately about? It's creating space where people can encounter God. That's all I really care about at the end of the day. All of this, what is this for? So we can create a little space where people can feel comfortable to open up their hearts to God. And hospitality is the way we disarm people. You know, when you feel comfortable, when you feel like you can voice your concerns, your doubts, your fears with other people without fear of judgment, that frees you. It heals you. And all of a sudden, you can be open to what God's going to do in your life. That's what all this is about. I believe in this Jesus stuff. <laughs> I do. I believe Jesus is the best thing for our world ever. And I believe that his ways are the only ways into healing and freedom. And I wouldn't have tried to start this church if I, if I believed otherwise. And I just say that, that, that when we show up on a Sunday morning, not, don't get sucked into the consumerism of our culture and saying, well, you know, I thought the music was a little loud this morning and I didn't like the coffee. Well, we all have that gift of fault-finding. Maybe the prayer should be, Lord, is there something I can do to help this coffee be better? <laughs> is there something I can do that, that, that can help with the experience? You know, I want to say one thing briefly. We went to two services back in September, and it's been hard. It's been hard. Um, it's hard for me because a lot of times we start out with, like, two people in this room. And you try doing a rock band with two people in a club. It's no fun. Um, but, but here's the deal. You know why we went to two services? Hospitality. You know how many kids we were having to turn around every weekend here at the Vineyard? Families that show up for the first time and we have to turn away their kids because we got too many kids back there? That's not Hospitality. We're doing this. We, we're doubling the amount of people that it takes to do what we do on the weekends. Why? Because we want to free up room so more people can get around Jesus. That's what it's all about. Secondly, we become salt and light by contributing to the culture. I love what I see with the, with the arts around here. Our wall has been evolving with the seasons over here. We have people, this, this lovely piece of art here, Rachel 
she got inspired by, by something in a sermon one day. She's like, I, I want to make a piece of art. I was like, I love that. People creating art based on what we're digging into. We've got original art back there. This last, even our signs and everything. We, we've got a, a, a nice little arts community that is, that is coming together here. I love that. That's one of the reasons we wanted to be here in downtown Covington. You know, when I play music, I played a, a bunch of gigs outside the church. Uh, I played a couple this week. When I go play a gig, I'm not trying to, you know, just get by and like, oh, I'm just a Christian. I'm going to do, you know, some Christian music. I want whatever I do as a musician to be as good as anything else you'd hear. And it's not a pride thing. I just feel like good music that's written well and performed well reveals Jesus. I'm tired of seeing that the church, like, every time I hear there's a Christian movie, I just, like, I roll my eyes because Christian movies, for the most part, there's a handful of good ones that come out, but for the most part, they're, they're known as just a cheesy genre. Genre that Unless you were a Christian who likes watching Christian movies, you're going to roll your eyes when you see it. It's not going to impact anybody else. I don't want to do that with my music. I want when people hear my music to go, wow, that's cool. I hadn't heard that before. We contribute, we, we are salt and light with our creativity. And it's not just arts. Whatever you, you know, whatever you do, whether like Andy, whether you draw houses. I love the way Andy said, he, oh, I just draw, just draw homes. Oh, yeah. He draws nice houses. <laughs> whether you're doing that or whether you're a plumber or a stay-at-home mom, that we do it to the glory of God. We give it everything we have because we care. And that ethic comes through in that. It matters. And we show that to the world. Compassion. Being a community that cares for the poor, the hungry, the outcast, and the broken. You know, the first organized program that the early church had was feeding widows. I know social justice has become a, a bad word. But there was some social justice in the early church. I, I hate to break it to you. They actually took care of the needy in their, in their community. If you were a widow at that time, you couldn't, as a woman, you couldn't get a job. You couldn't get an education. So if you didn't have a man or a family to take you in, you were on the streets. And the early church's first program, organized thing that they did, was taking care of widows. And I just feel like as a community, I'm, I'm excited. Man, when we did that outreach to the homeless a few weeks ago to give these jackets away, everybody I've talked to, to on that was, was impacted in a powerful way. And I'm looking forward to more and more opportunities in this coming year to show compassion to, to people who can't pay us back, to people who may never darken the doors of this church because it's not about that. It's about loving people. So i got to shut up because I'm already a few minutes over. But what I want to say here is, as far as action steps, I put a, a few at the, at the end of your outline. I invite you to consider a few of these things. We're doing our Sunday of service in a few weeks. Don't just skip church because that's a weekend where we're not having a, a worship service and a message. No, we're actually going to do the stuff. So... It may take a little bit longer than normal. You may be tied up for half a day on a Sunday. But we're going to be, you know, serving people. Secondly, when we started two services back in September, I asked for seven people who could give up three Sundays in three months, one hour, 
or shortly, a little over, that could serve in our children's ministry. I was asking for seven people that are not currently serving back there. That first shift of seven people is done with. And now we need another, actually, eight people (laughs) because we got more kids coming. I'm just asking that if there are eight of you that are not currently serving in children's ministry, if you could just give us three Sundays in the next three months to do a class. It's not bad. Actually, I've heard from our children's workers since we've gone to two services. It's great back there. It's running smoothly, and I'm not usually running this long, so you're you're hardly back there. Uh, But I I really would ask you to, if you can give up, if you can give up three Sundays, and, and hey, look, with two services, you can still come to a service. Go back there, service shift. We're asking for people that aren't currently doing that. So you can sign up on the back porch for that. And then the last thing I want to say, make plans to join us for our Christianity Beyond Belief class because these kinds of things that I'm mentioning this morning, that's what that class is going to be all about. And I'm looking forward to the ways that we can figure out as a community. Like I said last week, I ain't here to figure this out for everybody in here. I've got, you know, I'm wrestling with God. How can I live out my unique vocation? You know, how can I do things that are more outwardly focused? So I don't know what it looks like for you as an individual, but I'm just, as we, as we as a community dig into these things, I'm excited to see what God reveals to us so that the world may know what Jesus is like. All right, get up, stand up. Stand up for your rights. Well, God, I just pray your blessing on this group, God. And um, Lord, we, we sincerely ask you, God, uh, Holy Spirit, uh, just... Show us the way forward, God. Point us in the direction where we can um, where we can serve. And Lord, help us to be a community that is salt and light on the North Shore. In Jesus' name, amen.